I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Our talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. It's your game preview for Ohio State and Penn State. I'm Doug Lee Maurice here with Nathan Baird and Stephen Means. I'm already in Pennsylvania. And and uh, in the interest of full disclosure, I am in my mother's house. And I am sitting at her computer table, which is my sister's old nightstand from like 1985 and there's a photo on the wall next to me it's me and my sister i must be seven and i have a tremendous bowl haircut and i'm wearing a penn state sweater in this photo so i feel nathan that i owe it to our loyal buckeye talk listeners that uh as i sit here looking at myself in a penn state sweater from like 1980 you know there may be bias that leaks out here I mean, I you wear you a sweater it. when you're seven, and how do you shake it? Well, I think you owe it to your podcast partners to show us that photo. Yeah, I, I, I probably owe maybe it to I should just subscribers to text it to them. Oh no, 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 no! That might be it. If you pay three ninety nine a month, you get a picture of me with a bowl haircut. Well, you when sent I was Mickey Mouse costume. That's true. You well send them this too. It's kind of like for OnlyFans, but weirder and dumber, and part of. Uh, Part of the tech subscription that you get odd photos of me in strange costumes if you subscribe to the text at 614-350-3315. So, you know, I mean, it is what it is. This is a, an interesting game, I think, Ohio State, Penn State, and we will get into that. I did a, a podcast uh, with Bob Flounders and Dave Jones from PennLive.com. We'll, we'll use snippets of that in the second segment to hear them sort of talk about Penn State as we talked about the matchups there. We'll come back in the third segment. Nathan, Stephen, and I will make our picks. But Nathan, starting off here, um, you guys, as usual, Good interviews with the players on Wednesday night, Ryan Day on the radio show, and with the Ohio State Beat Corps on Thursday afternoon. Where do you want to start? What would you learn? Most interesting stuff you figured out last time, since last time we potted. Well, we haven't learned a lot about Jackson Smith Jigba this week and his potential status. Uh, you know, last week, it seemed like they were very forward about getting him in front of our eyes, letting us see him after practice, putting out a video clip on Friday afternoon of him playing trash can basketball. And then this week, there was hardly any players left in the Woody in the indoor by the time we got in there after practice on Wednesday, which felt deliberate also. Ryan Day, being very tight-lipped about it today, said to wait for the status report at 9 a.m. So that'll come via text from us, 614-350-3315. But C.J. Stroud was asked about Jackson on Wednesday and gave a very uh, not overly optimistic answer I think you would say and this is what he said Uh, I don't want to really disclose his personal information or how he feels but I can imagine it's not good I talk to him every day but it's just not my place to tell his business and then said some other things regarding um, his his faith basically Uh, God has a plan for his life that no one else can know maybe he's protecting him from something for something bigger that we don't know about that was something else that I texted out after it happened uh, Wednesday at, at interviews after practice. So just something to keep in mind. I think that, you know, maybe we're wrong and we misread what we saw Saturday at the game and they're just being overly cryptic because they can. And it, it's some gamesmanship. But I still think that this Jackson Smith of Jigga thing is going to be 
week to week, maybe in perpetuity, unless they decide to shut him down at some point to get him back just for the Michigan game in the postseason, something like that, unless they make that declaration. But I don't know why they would. I think it doesn't really benefit them either way to be to disclose more than they are right now. Yeah, but Steven, any other any other time that we've asked, especially players, I know Ryan Day is not gonna say anything, but when we've asked players, they've talked a little bit more optimistic or yeah. at least been like, Yeah, he looks good. Hopefully he plays or man, I can't wait to get him back. The way CJ answered that question and even like his face while he was answering it didn't say scream optimism. I can't wait to get this guy back. It screamed, This is my friend, and he had a thing. And then he thought it was over it and then he wasn't over it. And then he was thought he was over it again. And now he's not over it again. And we've done this. Like, do we think he plays thing on Saturday? Now we'll actually find out when the availability report comes out. But the way, I mean, the vibe around CJ didn't scream. Jackson Smith, the jig was playing football this week. Yeah. The receiver, the other receivers were asked last week and we're very much, Oh yeah, he's back in the mix. And this week, yeah, just people aren't saying that. So. It's reached an odd point. There was at least like, I think one text from one of our tech subscribers that was sort of like, can we maybe just like sort of stop talking about Jackson all the time? Like when it happens, it happens, whatever. And it is an odd thing that this has been, it's sort of like the underlying storyline of the entire season, but also it kind of doesn't doesn't matter. matter. Like it's, it's a very odd. That's a, very so that's a distinction that is yeah. very well said that it's like hey could you guys just stop talking about one of the 10 best players in college football who has been a complete non-factor for the best team in college football it's a weird thing nathan there are not many teams who could be without a player of this caliber and feel fine and so i understand why fans might be frustrated by that but the the ongoing thing of like whether this guy's around in January or not for Ohio State feels like it could be important, and that's going to continue to be the case. But nobody knows how this is going to play out now. Exactly. And that distinction is why we have to keep writing about it, reporting on it. And I have that thought in my head, too, as I have to keep giving these updates, writing these updates, asking these questions, is trying to do it in such a way that isn't being completely redundant and is trying to get new angles. Like today, for instance, I asked Ryan Day, when you have a situation like this, what is the consideration between when you would just say, well, we're shutting him down for an extended period of time to make sure that he's back for the Michigan game or the postseason or or whatever. Like just, just stop doing the week-to-week balance and just say, well, even if he can play, we're shutting him down because it's even more time to heal, whatever. Like, what's the runway you need? And he gave just a very vague answer about that's something they're considering each week. And, you know, the medical people will handle that. But, you know, as much, again, they haven't needed him yet. And I don't think they need him to beat Penn State. But Penn State also ranks third nationally in defensive completion percentage. They rank fifth nationally in opposing quarterback efficiency rating. They rank 11th nationally in yards allowed per attempt. This is a really good pass defense that Ohio State is about to play. And having Jackson Smith and Jigba helps is would help them beat that defense and would help them win this game. So, and the other point you make is also important because it is all about is Jackson Smith and Jigba on the field in the playoff if Ohio State gets to the playoff? And if so, just kind of keeping a, for posterity, like what was the process to get him back there? I think, and and how close to ready is he every succeeding week? Because if he's having setbacks and that pushes him farther away from being available for the playoff, those are the things we like to find out too. It So, for those listeners, those readers out there who this is grading on a little bit, I hear you, and we will try to keep reporting on it, but kind of with that in mind that there, it needs to not be the same stuff over and over. I wonder, I mean, this is setback number three, and it's literally just been any time he's tried to get on the football field, and it doesn't feel like he's been even close to doing what Nick Bosa did in 2018, mostly because Nick Bosa was never going to play again anyway. I mean, it's an abdomen thing, and this is a hamstring issue, but these are tricky. And with hamstrings, sometimes one small little setback can set you back weeks at a time. And so I do wonder if this time around, even if he's clearly not on that path of like, you know what, I'm just going to hang it up and call it a career, has the conversation at least been brought up at some point? Because this isn't the first setback. This is the every time he's tried to get back on the field, very quickly he's had to come right back off of it. 
And so at what point does Jackson, Jackson probably won't because he's an athlete and he wants to play, but at what point does somebody in Jackson's camp who cares about him at least bring up the idea of like, hey, man, maybe you just need to sit down. Well, it's one of those. Again, you you can sort of do all those things at the same time. You can just sort of Mm -hmm. take it out of your head and then see how you feel on December 15th. You know, like when Nick Bosa kind of said, that's it. Like he, I think he like moved and started to go like heal and start to work out. Like I, I I don't, you know, I don't know that this kind of injury would lead Jackson to do that. But again, when I do the rant requests, you know, we get a lot every week. There are, there are things of people comparing Nick Bosa and Jackson Smith and Dick and Jigba. And then there are people asking like, will he come back or how much I, I even heard, I think in, in, at, among the beat on Tuesday, there were some other guys talking about it and what, how it's affecting Jackson's future and that kind of thing. And I just, I really do think that we have the proof that we're at the point of like, he doesn't have to play to be a first round pick. I mean, like Michael Parsons set out the whole COVID year, right? Nick Bosa did that and missed his whole last year, basically, except for two and a half games and was the number two pick in the draft. We, you know, Rashawn Slater at Northwestern sat out a whole year and, was a top 15 pick and became one of the best left tackles in the NFL right away. He doesn't need it for that. So like the idea of like, if he's hurting his future, the only way we'd hurt his future is if he aggravates the injury to an extent that it becomes like a long-term thing. But in terms of he has to, he doesn't have to get on the field for the NFL. He doesn't. He actually probably would help himself more by like getting on the field for the combine. That would Mm -hmm. help, right? That might be a little necessary. Jamison Williams, you know, with his ACL and, missing a lot of workouts and stuff. He fell a little bit in the draft. And and if if Jamison Williams, some people thought Jamison Williams could have been the first receiver off the board. I still, yeah. he didn't fall that far. He still was a, a high first round pick. Yeah. I, you know, Drake London, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, he, he's in that mix. But anyway. It's the speed honestly, factor. If, you, if you're a yeah. draft pick, if your choice is play your season, miss the combine and all the individual workouts, or miss your season, make the combine and all your individual workouts, I think you're better off missing your season if you've put down film, if you've already put down good film, right? And then you can go in and do all the workouts and do everything. So this this really is, Jackson has to think about his future, but that's only in terms of his body being healthy and ready for the NFL season in 2023. That's what the future is, That the health. The like showing what you can do, they know. They know. So then this is only a conversation about his desire, which absolutely certainly is there to play, help his team be part of a, of a, of a historic thing and his team wanting him back, Nathan. So I just, I just, you know, he'll, he'll be fine from that perspective. That film, the film last year, you guys watch those games. You see everybody see them. Good. Ooh, people like that. So that's okay. And, and that was a phrase actually that CJ Stroud used a couple times was he'll be fine. He'll be okay. And I think he was kind of talking about just as a person and, and long-term. And and I, I just want to point out for people, we're not saying that we think that that decision is like even right in yeah. the hopper right now. I just think it can't be dismissed either. That is, we're watching this play out over the next six weeks or shorter time period than that even. I, I can't tell you that that won't come up at some point if this injury doesn't work out in the way that they want it to. But right now, there's all indication the fact that he came back and worked back and practiced last week, even to the fact that he's standing next to Brian Hartline with his helmet on after he came out of that game, it looked like he wanted to get back in that game. It looked like it. And that's something Ryan Day said earlier this week. So I, I, there's every indication that Jackson with the Jigba wants to play as much as he can for this football team right now. Yeah, the only reason I even brought it up because this is time number three. If this was like you know two yeah. this is the first time we've even talked about it. The only pushback I would have on the first round stuff is I agree, but it's like because he's a slot guy, that might ding him a little bit, but for the most part, but he's a slot well, I don't know, but I mean, but he's a slot guy. I, I don't think not playing I'll, I mean I know well, just, I mean, just, just know, the lack I mean, of like outside film, but like either way, like this dude had ninety five catches and sixteen hundred. But it's also I mean if you could if you go 12 personnel and there's two receivers on the field, I still he's think on that's the a field. different than like outside film. It's like he's not playing Z or X, really. Right. Like he, that wasn't going to be the plan this year anyway. We, we said that. We were right. like, oh, so you that would be like you move Garrett outside. They're like, nope. So, yeah. and he's an NFL slot guy. Oh. They, you, right? Like, predominantly. Yeah. 
So it's like, just future. It, even if he had played this year, it's like, does do teams ding him because he's only a slot guy? Maybe he falls to like 22. But like outside of that, that dude has shown plenty of film to know that he's an awesome Because well, I mean, Justin Jefferson was in the slot a lot at LSU, maybe slid yeah. a little bit, fell behind Jalen Rager because they're like, I don't know. And then it was like, oh, no, mm-hmm. it's fine. So, hey, NFL. And also the, the NFL learned sometimes. Like, it, remember when it used to be like, I don't know, that quarterback, he was in shotgun a lot in college. Maybe we should – we should take the guy who was under center <laughs> at Wyoming State, and it's like you know what? I, I think they'll figure it out. Or guess what? You'll just, just go in the shotgun. Yeah, so. just, just do some yeah, shotgun. just go in the shotgun. But like, it's okay. I think they'll figure out how to use Jackson Smith the Jigba. So, listen, I do think maybe it becomes the point where we like don't lead the preview podcast with Jackson Smith and Jigba every week, but he he's very good at this. So. That's the baseline of that. Nathan, what else? What else? Oh, by the way, did you do, did you make Ryan Day? I was just breezing through some texts. Somebody used the F word and it texted me. Very surprising. But I said you earn the right to – you can say the F word. If you say the F word at me on Twitter, I just block you. But but in, in text, for three ninety nine, call me the F word. Um, did you make Ryan Day mad? Did you do something to get under Ryan Day's skin today, Nathan? I, I simply asked about what Jackson Smith's Jigba status was, and he said he wasn't going to update, do any injury updates until Saturday morning. So I, I said that as a way to preference the next question, but I didn't want to. I don't want to do this thing where I asked only the second part of the question without the front part of the question, which is the uh, what is his situation. So uh, I, it was I, I front though. <laughs> it was just like, hey, can you tell us about Jackson? <laughs> like no just, games yeah. played whatsoever, which yeah, I respect. Well, well, because last week a question similar to that got asked, and it gave him that escape door to not answer the question. And so, um, I'm you know I respect Ryan Day, but I'm not trying to get on his Christmas card list. I just need a piece of information, so I just asked him. Yeah, that's good. Um, okay, what else, Nathan? What what else specifically from Ryan Day in the radio show or the lightning round with reporters on Thursday afternoon? As we record this Thursday afternoon, was there anything else there? Well, I wrote a little bit about – this is not necessarily Ryan Day, but I wrote about talking to C.J. Stroud about this Penn State secondary and what he expects to to see. It's a guy that clearly has a lot of respect for Joey Porter, um, who he called you know maybe the best defensive back in college football. Uh, but also, like he rattled off just all these numbers that he was seeing on film of, of guys that stood out to him, that whether from their skill or just you know how they play on that side of the ball – whether that's Jair Brown, the safety, whether that's the other corners, the guys that they rotated nickel, like he he's expecting to see tough coverage on Saturday. And uh, he threw for, he had a good game against Penn State last year, I think, uh, threw for like 305 yards, touchdown, no picks. So kind of one of his more quiet good games, I guess you would say, uh, in a season that had some, obviously some eruptions. But it's going to be a little bit different. You got a different defensive coordinator this time in uh, Manny Diaz. who used to be the coach of Miami and is, you know, a long time defensive mind in college football. And he says that, it, you know, on the, on the perimeter in the secondary, not a lot has changed because a lot of that personnel has changed, but he is seeing some different things in the box. And I'm, you know, it's, it's a new set of eyes on how to attack Stroud. And now he'll be getting an, an, his first look at what they're doing to him in real time. And a week after it took them a little while to make some adjustments, I'm, I'm curious what that looks like this coming week. It took them a little while to get the passing game going. And now I think there's going to be an emphasis on getting off to a strong start this week at Penn State, maybe dictating the tempo a little bit. Well, you'll hear this, I think, in, in a little bit with the Penn State guys. But just as a heads up, um, David Jones, who's been covering Penn State long enough that he was, I was reading him when I was like in middle school, said he, this is like the best Penn State secondary he's ever seen. So like that's the context of the yep. Penn State secondary. Joey Porter Jr., super long arms, legit number one corner. Jair Brown's a great safety. The other outside corner has played well. And the slot guy might be where they're a little vulnerable, but the secondary is great. And so like we, you just said that, Nathan, but again, like this is, that's where this Penn State defense starts it's on the back end do they have like an Arnold Ebicady kind of guy that's going to get pressure off the edge by himself no and that's that's a factor so maybe CJ's going to have time to, to pick him apart but the, I think the coverage is going to be pretty good they blitz um, a lot they'll kind of offset that so I just, that might show I'm up. just I'm fascinated to see is Steven do you think like is is blitzing CJ the right 
thing to do because again they got home it wasn't a blitz it was just a nice little stunt little two-man game yeah. that got the the iowa defensive score i just don't think blitzing cj stroud and it's like oh here comes a quick little hitter to emeka Egbuka and you're out of the house i don't know that that's the answer i don't know either but i know that letting him sit back there comfortable and just like diagnose a defense is not ever going to work especially in year two it doesn't matter if you drop eight or you just drop seven or whatnot so i would I do think he is better at scrambling and buying time than he was last year, but I would still rather make him do that than stand back there and pick me apart. And for, and Penn State like blitzes like religiously. It's not like something they would just be adding in this week. It's like something they've done all season long. Um, it's probably is like to offset some of the fact that they don't get pressure with four a lot. So you kind of, you kind of just got to pick your poison there and live with some of the consequences, especially since you just mentioned it. They're probably a little shaky at nickel. Well, Ohio State's still missing their slot receiver. And Mameka is elite, but he's not Jack. What Jackson, he's, he's not elite at what made what Jackson Smith the Jigba is elite at. So maybe you live with it a little bit more. I do think, though, Nathan, has some of the stuff when it feels like the Ohio State passing offense has been a little clunky, isn't it? When people have dropped a lot of guys, tried to keep people in front of them and make them work down the field. And, yeah. and it's not that CJ is under pressure. It's that there's kind of nobody open because all the passing lanes are clogged up. It's, it's what Iowa did, again, relatively effectively in the first half of, of that game when when Hoste was settling for field goals on, on short fields. Uh, and, and other teams have done it to, to some success, too. I mean, I think that was the formula that Notre Dame put out there a little bit in that season opener. You know, limit possessions, run a deliberate offense, keep the ball away from Ohio State, and then make them have to, you know, work it downfield, don't give up the explosive plays. And But I agree with Steven, though, that I, I don't think that that works in the long term. You will eventually give up the explosive plays. I think Ohio State will eventually find that vulnerability. But if you can combine it like Iowa did, and I know we've had this discussion about how successful you're going to call a defense that gives up 47 points. But like if, if you do if you do the, the dropping seven, eight guys, but you're also creating the, the, the rush just with your front, like that combination, if you can pull it off, can beat Ohio State, I think. But I don't know that Iowa actually did it all that great. I mean, we, we the, the stunt and the strip sack scoop and score, kind of a fluky thing. Especially you go back and look at that play. Like, the guy just kind of ran into CJ. I, don't, I wouldn't even really call it a strip sack. I would call it like a drop sack. But so that, that stands out. But I, it wasn't like he was under attack most of that no. game. And I think that, you know, maybe you look down the line. Is it something like a team like Georgia could maybe do? Uh, but... It, I, I don't know that even Penn State, like we don't really have a lot of evidence on paper anyway, that they can create the kind of problems up front that they could pair with that back seven. But their back six is going to be better than any they've faced. So maybe there's even, you know, makes him hold the ball even longer, makes him have to look to deeper reads even more and buys that front a little bit more time. As Ryan Day was talking today about what he's seen with his own defense, the way the, the rush and the coverage have been coming together in the last couple of weeks, how that's created those turnover opportunities and things. And that's what Ohio State has to try to uh, avoid in some of these opponents. How about this plan? I know people, I think, seem to like it when, when, I, like to, when I pretend I'm a coach. So let's, let's do Coach Doug. Hey, fellas, let's do our best out there. So that was, that's how Coach Doug would do it. Um, everybody in, put your hands in. We do that a lot. Steven, first half, drop everybody. Clunk it up. Second half, blitz like your hair's on fire. So, like, try to try to make them work for it in the first half. And then I just, I really do believe in Ohio State's ability. Ryan Day, Kevin Wilson, CJ Stroud. Their ability to figure it out and grind it out. I, I, I believe in that. I, there's... I think there's some like, man, why did it take so long to adjust? You know, I was sort of asking a lot of questions on Tuesday about what's your balance between sticking with what you do, believing it's going to work, or realizing you have to adjust to things that a defense is throwing at you, right? But but I don't think I don't think you want to over adjust when it's like, well, you know, I don't know where the Ohio State passing offense. I don't know what we're doing, but I don't know, Stephen. The idea of like if you can make them clunky, I just don't think you can clunk up Ohio State's passing game for four quarters. No, nobody wants to hang in. Drop eight, hang in. Then at halftime, decide, all right, like we're in it. 
but we're not going to stay in it doing this. And I think if you said, all right, now let's get after him in the second half. We'll be a little riskier. We'll try to create some turnovers. If we get burned, you know what? We'll probably get burned anyway because they're so good. Um, I just would not come out if I was Manny Diaz and say, boom, let's blitz two guys on second and three on the first drive because I feel like, wow, you are. I know how good your secondary is, but you're putting yourself sort of on edge, I don't think, for, for enough upside. I like it as long as it's 17 to seven at halftime, because then you give yourself a chance to ramp it up a little bit. So whether it's you blitz in the first half and then drop eight in the second half, or it's the other way around where you're dropping eight in the first half and then blitzing in the, in the second half, whatever many Diaz, I think Penn State needs to make sure this is like a seven or 10 point game at halftime. Because if not, then if it's 24 to seven at halftime, then it doesn't really matter what you do because, as you just mentioned, Day and Wilson figure this thing out at halftime. And outside of CJ deciding that he wants to throw interceptions on the opening drive of second halves, they typically start getting a little explosive in that third quarter. So you need to give yourself as much give as possible to kind of make up, to be able to sustain that. At the at, when, Penn State and maybe Michigan are the only two teams where it's like do enough to where when the third quarter run happens and you get to the fourth quarter, we're not we're still watching the game as writers and not wrapping things up here. Two things. Uh, I want to let our readers know, first of all, that in between questions, Doug is muting himself and just destroying a thin crust. East Coast I was trying to cut pizza. Yeah. Just just crushing this thing. I think he's eaten about half a pizza and we've only been talking for like 10 minutes and he's been talking for a decent portion of that, as you know. So kudos to Doug for multitasking today. Secondly, Doug, you and I talked on Monday's pod uh, kind of looking into the future. You know, I, okay, Iowa had some defensive success, but is Ohio State going to be able to just shred the the are, are they going to face a, a real threat from a opposing defense the rest of the way and we talked a lot about personnel there but i think that maybe the personnel that matters is the coordinator because what tripped ohio state up last season against oregon especially it wasn't that oregon had phenomenal offensive talent they had good offensive talent you know travis die and then these guys but it was joe moorhead that was what I think we really look back at that game and say yeah. that guy schemed something up that attacked Ohio State where it was most vulnerable. And those vulnerabilities were much bigger than any vulnerabilities Ohio State has in its offense, especially its pass offense, I would I would argue. But that matchup, I think, ended up looming larger than the individual per, on the field personnel matchups. So that's something I'm kind of keeping my eye on is like, is there a defensive mind coming up on this schedule that would be able to because it okay bringing pressure i think against stroud is smart but in in the right way but are you disguising it the right way because the sooner as soon as he sees the pressure i think he's seasoned enough and smart enough and skilled enough that he's already got a plan to, to deal with that a little bit so how are you disguising that how are you disguising your coverages even when you when you drop eight or seven does it not look until post-snap that you're dropping seven or eight and causing him problems and taking away a route that he thought was going to be there? Like, who is scheming that up the best? Because I, I don't necessarily think that it's just personnel out on the field. And that's why the Manny Diaz thing has me intrigued, because he might be a combination of both. Like, he has the personnel, and then what does he maybe have in his back pocket that he can throw on a field and that C.J. Stroud hasn't seen before? And as much as they try to have contingencies and think about what a team might have shown them, and I'm sure Jim Knowles does a decent job of that sometimes in in, in scout or whatever they do, um, it, it, that's always, it's, it's hard to completely put your mind, put yourself in the mind of someone else and think of what they're going to think of. So... Uh, just something, something I've been, I've been bouncing around since we talked on Monday because I, I just think those coordinator matchups can be critical when you get games against where, where they actually have personnel that are a little bit closer to your own. And like to your point, Stephen, I, I do think for any coordinator like that, you can try more stuff if you believe in your guys. So if Manny mm -hmm. Diaz says like, I believe in our secondary, I know how good this Ohio State passing game is, but I believe in our guys if I wind up 
putting them in one-on-one matchups, I think we can hang. So I'm going to try to do some stuff that they aren't expecting, right? That the, obviously, Nathan, as you're saying, the, the two are connected. But I think it's a good point. Even like you look ahead, it's like, well, Georgia just lost their defensive coordinator. Clemson just lost their defensive coordinator. Like who's ahead that can do it? Michigan just lost their defensive coordinator, right? Three of the teams you'd think about. And Manny Diaz, actually Penn State has a new, man, everybody has, Ohio State. Does every good team in the country have a new defensive coordinator except Alabama? That's interesting. That's what happens when you have a year where the only good defense was Georgia. And so he only, and he's the only, he's one of the yeah. only two of them who left because he got a better job. Everybody else yeah, got the good, fired. The, the good coordinators leave and the bad coordinators get fired. That's actually yeah. just apropos of nothing. The good coordinators leave, the bad coordinators get fired. That's actually for any, if there's a head coach who happens to be listening, that's how college football actually kind of works. Yeah. Just as a heads up, if anyone's wondering <laughs> the process that happens there. Um, so, Stephen, I mean, that's one of those things. You know, you you might be right. It's a fine line, Stephen, of we don't want to let CJ just have a clear look at everything, but we also don't want to overextend ourselves. But if you believe in your back end, you're willing to try it a little bit more. So I, who knows? But I'm fascinated. I think, Nathan, you make a really good point. Stephen, like, we're going to learn a lot, like the first two drives, you know, yeah. how Penn State comes out and what they try to do. We're going to get a handle, I think, on, on how this game's going to go. And and certainly the the minds on both sidelines really matter. And third down, obviously, that's pressure down, especially if it's third and seven. So it's less about that. It's more if it's second and ten or second and four, where you know that's a big difference in you know what the offense can do. I'm more interested in what Manny Diaz does on those downs, where maybe the entire playbook is open in Ohio State, depending on what the yard down and distance is, but maybe it's not. But then what is Manny Diaz doing on those situations? Because on third and seven, we know he's blitzing because every defensive coordinator on the planet is probably blitzing on third and seven. That's when you typically do those things. How much do we think Ohio State is going to come out and just be very assertive with the run, though? Coming off, I mean, a game where they know Penn State is very talented in the secondary and a game where they feel like they didn't perform that well with the run, just seems like a week where they might come out and try to establish that early. And and that's think, where Penn State's vulnerable. Penn State's yeah, much more vulnerable the, against the run than they are against the pass. It's the combination of like one, Ohio State didn't do a good job of it, but also you turn on the film and seeing what is successful against Penn State and Michigan just showed you. Have some good, some quality running backs and push Penn State's around at the but, line but of like, scrimmage. But that's not who you are. Like that's the thing that, that like that conversation, yeah. you're not Michigan. That Michigan has does not throw it like Ohio State, but also Ohio State does not run it like Michigan right now. Mm-hmm. So like that idea, I just obviously everybody looks at the film of what opponents did. Michigan and Ohio State have such different offenses. I just don't yeah. know how applicable I, crossover information like that is for those two teams. I want to drop a stat in here too, and it's going to come up in some of the videos that we're uh, recording for our YouTube channel for people who don't subscribe to that. Uh, maybe go over and uh, do that. But uh, Michigan ran for 418 yards against Penn State just ran the ball up their throat and had some huge explosive plays in the other whatever six games Penn State has played this year it gives up so because of that it gives up like an average of 4.16 yards per game or yards per attempt something like that you take that game out it's 3.1 now that's not how numbers work you are who you are for the full season but that also tell like that 3.1 would rank in the top 15 nationally but 4.16 like a full yard more just based on that Michigan game ranks 12th in the Big Ten so I'm just saying somewhere in the middle there, there, there's it's it's both a run defense that appears very vulnerable, but one that I don't think you can just assume is going to lay down for Ohio State. But it's just they, they don't have as many. Yes, they don't have as many more stars. More their dudes are on the back end. More yes, their dudes are on the back end. Hundred percent. Steven, just said real quick, anything anything else from like Wednesday interviews, players that you talked to that you just wanted to to share? Anything that. Yeah, we mentioned it a little bit on the, the Wednesday pod. Just, I mean, Julian Fleming's going home and he's doing, I mean, he answered those questions the way you would think he'd answer those questions. He's handling it like it's any other game, but he's, he's fully expecting there, him to get booed in those games. But I thought more importantly, it was another opportunity to show Penn State how to low on recruiting where it led everybody into its backyard. And Julian Fleming is the first real example of what can happen when you don't take care of your own your backyard and because he's come to Ohio state, he's developed into an actual receiver now. And now he has a role as basically this explosive deep ball guy for Ohio state. Who's a touchdown magnet. And we're talking about Penn state secondary and how good it is. How interesting would it be if the guy who like, you know, sets that on fire is someone who probably should be playing for its raw for its team right now. 
Yeah. And that's without mentioning Marvin Harrison on the other side who grew up in Philly. So I had forgotten about this. I don't think we talked about it here. Again, I apologize. I, I think it, it comes up with the Penn State guys. We all know it's like, hey, Mike Yersich, he used to be at Ohio State for a year. And now he's at Penn State and he's from Euclid and he's a, a local guy. And hey, Jim Knowles, hey, he's from Pennsylvania. He's in Philadelphia. And, and he was getting asked about that this week. I will say just like, Philadelphia and Penn State, it's kind of like it's not. Philadelphia is not a college football town. So, like, Jim Knowles was, like, trying to, like, say, hey, yeah, no. It was like, not not really. You really did. Like, you just, you were awash in the Eagles all the time. Just like Ryan Day. Ryan Day can, like, pretend that it was like, Ryan Day in New Hampshire, you didn't really care about college football. And then on Sunday, you parked yourself on the couch and watched the Patriots. So, Jim Knowles and, and Ryan Day both had NFL upbringing. So, like, whatever. But, like, I literally had forgotten about this, perhaps just because I'm not very good at this. Mike Yersich and Jim Knowles were on the same staff at Oklahoma State. Like, Mike Yersich and Jim Knowles were going against each other. Whoa. And in 2018, Jim Knowles was the defensive coordinator at Oklahoma State. And Mike Yersich was the offensive coordinator. Because that's where Ryan Day goes when he has yeah, apparently. When he an assistant. He calls up Mike Gundy and says, what are you paying those guys? Well, double it. And then they come here. And also, I think it's maybe if they have some OSU shirts – they can just shade the orange and make it a little more red, and then you save on the clothing allowance also. So, like, I had forgotten about that. But Mike Yersich, who's calling plays for Penn State's offense, and Jim Knowles, who's calling plays for Ohio State's defense, used to go against each other in practice, Nathan. And, like, I don't know what that means because when inevitably, often the media loves – you know that coach. You know him. And then it's like, okay, well, guess what? They know each other. So what? So who has the edge? Is it better to not know somebody? Is it better to know somebody? Ryan Day and Don Brown knew each other. And it's like, what did that mean? And it was like, okay, it meant that Ryan Day undressed Don Brown and got him fired. So it's like, okay, well, that seemed to matter. Because <laughs> like Ryan Day in the end, it was like, hey, how'd that go? And it's like, Ryan Day's like, yeah, I, I knew everything he was going to do. And so that's how you get 60 points or whatever it was against Michigan. So right. like, it's an interesting little wrinkle, Nathan. I have no idea what it means. It, it Maybe could it possibly mean that Jim Knowles kind of has a very specific style of defense that he wants to do things. And at least Mike Yersich has a little bit of a feel for it, as opposed to maybe a bunch of other big 10 people who are seeing the Jim Knowles style for the first time. Yeah. I don't, I wouldn't say that it necessarily gives either guy an advantage, but I, because, and then, you might want to assume that it, the advantage goes to the guy who is known as the schemer more. And I, because I think, you know, Mike Jurisic, I think is a respected college football mind. I think he's a respected coach, but Jim Knowles is known as like, you know, mad scientist, all that stuff. But I think you make an interesting point that if there's anyone who has seen, the more you have seen Jim Knowles, the more likely you are to find the thing that he wants to avoid at all costs, which is predictability. And he was talking earlier this week about every snap, a defense has a vulnerability. You give up something to take something else and you try to disguise it and hide it the best you can or protect from it. You know, you're giving up this coverage over here, but that's why the pressure is coming from there. So the quarterback isn't even looking there. You're directing him over here where you've got to cover that sort of thing. So could Mike Yersich maybe have seen enough of him over the years to know where one or two of those pockets are lurking? Maybe. That's a great epiphany. I wish one of us would have came to on like Sunday and then we could have asked him those about it. But <laughs> either way, I, but no, that, I know. That, that that also works the other way though. That, yeah, it's, it's like sure, hey certainly man, like, does. certainly you, does. You not only the Jim Knowles knows how Mike Yurcich likes to call games, but also he knows how he likes to develop his quarterbacks because that, he watched that, it up close and personal. And so did Tanner McAllister for that sake, because he's yeah. So like they both kind of know how. They, so even if it is a different, uh, a different, not a completely, it's apples and oranges because it's different personnel. Those two kind of understand how Mike Yurcich thinks a little bit. It does work both ways, but I would say any analysis of this game would say that Penn State's offense has to um, overachieve what it has done so far Correct. to win, and Ohio State's defense does not. They they were together just that single year in 2018. It was Jim Knowles in his first year at Oklahoma State. Mike Yersich was in the year six at Oklahoma State. And then in 2019, Ryan Day's first year as the head coach, he swept in and stole Mike Yersich away. 
from Oklahoma State and brought him here. So it was that single year that they were together uh, in Stillwater. And, you know, just keep it in the back of your mind as you're watching this thing. All right, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we're just going to get into, you'll hear me, you'll hear Bob Flounders, you'll hear David Jones of Penn Live. Um, I might give you maybe a little bit of a cut-up conversation, the highlights of what I did with them on their Blue and White Breakdown podcast. If you want to hear the whole thing, go there. But, like, I'm going to cut out the part where I'm, like, explaining to Penn State fans, like, who Marvin Harrison Jr. is. It doesn't seem particularly helpful uh, for this audience. But we'll get their <laughs> insights about Penn State, and then we'll come back after that segment and make our picks for the game next on Buckeye Talk. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Bob Flounders, Dave Jones, joined by Doug Lamarice of Cleveland.com. I think all of this analysis is spot on and it's great. But for me, it's one thing and one thing only in every game except for the 2016 game. The team with the better quarterback has won this game. And I don't think you can argue that. And I think that's that is the case. I think that's that's going to be the case uh, on Saturday. You know, uh, 2016's game was really won by Penn State's defense and special teams. They rallied from 21-7 down. But when I look at the history of James Franklin against Ohio State, they have been competitive, but they just have not been able to score enough points. I mean, that's really been an issue. Even the year when it was 39-38 in Columbus, Barkley scored a kick return to open the game. So Penn State barely creeped above 30. My question is, I just think, can Penn State score enough on an improved Ohio defense, Ohio State defense, to actually threaten the upset? Doug, before you answer this, I've got an impersonation. Who is this, Bob? Sean Clifford, Big Ten <laughs> Offensive Player of the Week. <laughs> well, Bob knows who it is. Doug doesn't know who it is. Tell him, Bob. Yeah, he's got a pretty. He's a pretty. He's pretty good at James Franklin because he's got a very distinct way of of saying some words and his mannerisms. The use of the word obviously. And the phrase, I get it. Uh, he was gloating. He was gloating. On that. he was gloating over Clifford being Offensive Player of the Week because he's gotten so much criticism right. over not playing Drew Aller uh, pretty much at all in quality minutes. So he was gloating about that, about the Minnesota huh. game. Yeah. No, and I know, you know, we've, we've had this conversation before, yeah. and every Penn State fan knows it and is, you know – Penn State had Justin Fields for half a minute, and if you keep him, <laughs> how much does that change? And if you keep Will Levis in the program, how much does that right. change everything? But yes, I do think, and, and and that's the next step for for the Big Ten. That the Big Ten for a while, I think there was a coaching deficit in the Big Ten, right? Brett Bielema leaves to go to Arkansas, however long it was ago, because they won't pay his assistance, and then you get the Big Ten Network money. And I think you know, there's a the, the, certainly I think the certainly coaching. made the Big Ten coaching contingent lighter when Bielema left. Oh, wait till wait till there, Illinois makes there. the Big Ten championship game this year and Brett Bielema in his glory. Uh, at St. Elmo's. At St. Elmo's after the oh. game before the game. <laughs> Brett Bielema belongs in the Big Ten. I'm so happy he's back. Yeah. He but does. He's a like, perfect they, guy. They raise the level of coaching. But like you look, for instance, like at the ACC this year, before the season, you could go through and be like, man, there's like eight or nine dudes at quarterback in the ACC. Right. Yeah. Sam Hartman and Devin Leary and Phil Dracovic and it's multiple dudes. Uh, Drake May at North Carolina. And like, where's that in the Big Ten? So well, I think Spencer that's Petrus, next... I mean, <laughs> I can't. I'm not allowed. I'm actually uh, my You're lawyers bad. have told I'm me not to talk about Iowa anymore. <laughs> so that's the next step for the Big Ten. It's like if it, ha- if it can happen in the ACC, why can't it happen in the Big Ten? So like from our perspective, 
we know Penn, like all, he, he's from Ohio. He's from Northeast Ohio. He's from the Cleveland area. Ohio State took a look at him late, but they had Quinn Ewers. And it was like, you know, the yeah. Drew Aller thing is like, we can, like, we cannot wait for Drew Aller to be the Penn State quarterback. We're already talking about next year when Penn State comes to Columbus, the idea of when has an Ohio quarterback come right. back to Ohio Stadium trying to beat the Buckeyes? Well, how like many Sean, comparable like Sean Clifford? Yeah, well, I know. No offense to Sean Clifford. Like how many, how many comparable <laughs> like, like the last one? <laughs> so uh, like it's did you not notice that, Doug, or what? I know. He's I from know. Cincinnati. No, I know, but it's not the same thing. Well, first of all, he's from Cincinnati. Drew Gallagher's more from Cleveland, so we care about that guy more. But come on, man. Come on. It's like we get the Bob, we did you it. hear that? Come on. This is the way, this is the way people in every other part of Ohio regard Cincinnati. This is really? I, I wrote about this last year when when UC went to the college football playoff. Cincinnati is not regarded as part of Ohio. No. It's Kentucky. No, it's like, it yeah. is. It's Kentucky. It really has nothing to do with the rest of Ohio. The rest of Ohio, they're Ohio State fans. Toledo, you could probably rationalize half Michigan fans. But Cleveland's to almost twice as far away from Columbus as Cincinnati. That, and yet everybody in Cleveland's an Ohio State fan. LeBron what, James, everybody. Oh, Cincinnati yeah, yeah, yeah. is not part of Ohio, and that's evidence right there. He didn't even think John was Clifford that, was from Ohio. Was that well read on penlive.com why Cincinnati is not part of Ohio? It's really Kentucky by Dave Jones. Well, well um, Doherty, Paul Doherty called me up and he like reran it. So we got the clicks anyway. Yeah. So, you he know, loved I mean, it so that, much. Th that idea, right? And then you guys, like, you get a quarterback and all of a sudden you can get over the top. I mean, I think JJ McCarthy, the, he's a little wild. But he adds an element of, of dynamic play that they didn't even have last year with Cade McNamara at Michigan. And that makes, I think for Ohio State, it makes the Michigan game a little scarier, right? So that's where, what, when Ohio State, that's the thing, like when Ohio State played Iowa, I, I think this was 54 was the most Kirk Ferentz ever got, ever got, gave up in his life at Iowa. Iowa had not played Ohio State since 2017. They'd never seen this version of Ohio State. Right. The, the Dwayne Haskins, Justin Fields, C.J. Stroud, chuck it around version. Because even like 2016, that's a great Penn State win. That's J.T. Barrett running the ball 20 times like Tim Tebow Jr., yeah. right? That's not what this version of Ohio State is. So Ohio State, with the way they throw it, I think it's changed the game a little bit of like, if you're going to try to hang with Ohio State, you can try to stop them, but your better bet is probably to just slow them down and then try to outscore them in your own way. And if you're going to do that, I think you have to have a great quarterback. And how many teams in this league have that? Not a ton, but maybe Drew Aller for the next couple seasons maybe will give Penn State a chance like this, Bob, whereas you try to wrap your head around it now. Well, I don't know. What do you give Ohio State at least? 35, 38 at least? Maybe? I don't yeah. think that's unfair. And then what's the path for Penn State scoring 38 on an improved yeah. Ohio State defense? It's tough. Yeah. See, this is Slacker, I got to ask you this now. See, in, in regards to Bob's assessment, which I think is, as uh, certain readers would say, it's spot on, Bob. That's spot on. And uh, obvious. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Ohio State quarterbacks have had such luxury in this era you're talking about. Dwayne Haskins barely got touched. Justin Fields barely got touched. And now C.J. Stroud is barely getting touched. They throw the ball in an easy chair back there, and there is by and large no pressure on them. So I thought it was very interesting at the beginning of the Iowa game where Joe Evans came careening up the middle on, on that stunt and hit C.J. Stroud in the mouth. The ball came loose, and you're going, hmm, you know, I think the only way to beat Ohio State, you're not going to beat them on the edges. You're right. not going to beat them out in the field because they're always going to have superior athletes. Penn State can hang with them in the secondary because it's the best secondary I've ever seen there. But, but you're, so you're still not going to win that game with athletes. You have to punch them in the mouth. Don't you think – Penn State, one way or another, has to get to Stroud and hit him, or they have no chance. That's my assessment. And it's a big conversation around Ohio State of like how much should C.J. Stroud run or be a threat to run, or that he's in pocket more. Zero. I always say when he's behind the line of scrimmage, of da he's dangerous. As soon as he passes the line of scrimmage, he's not dangerous. So I don't. He's care a lot like Haskins that way, isn't he? 
Yeah, I mean, he's just not he's just not that kind of athlete. Right. But he is that kind of thrower and that kind of diagnoser. I do think it's dangerous. I don't think you can blitz him a ton because I think he'll find the hot guy and get it mm-hmm. out, and then they're off to the races. But if you can get four-man pressure, right, and and that was right, that's a great stunt. It's a little game that the, the tackle gave a signal to the end, said loop behind me. It's a, it's a first-year starter at left guard that kind of got sucked outside. Here's an open lane. Boom, it's seven points. It's a defensive touchdown. You know, you got a corner who can maybe hang like Joey Porter Jr. in the secondary. Riley Moss, Iowa basically put him on one outside receiver and said, take care of that and we'll clog up everything else on the other side. If you have a corner like that and you can get a little four-man pressure, you have a chance to make it clunky. Yeah, I think that's the the pathway. I think that's the pathway. Bob, (laughs) your thoughts? No, you're right. In 16, uh, Penn State sacked Barrett six times and really guys – Kevin Givens, Garrett Sickles had the games, not not Givens, but Garrett Sickles had the best 30 minutes of his life at Penn State. But, you know, Penn State, for all their improved defense this year, it's, I you know, Franklin talked about it on Tuesday. They still only have 15 sacks. Um, they, they do, Manny Diaz will uh, <clears throat> bring some exotic packages. But I just wonder, Penn State's best pure pass rusher is Chop Robinson. He didn't play last week. Um, I don't know if he's going to play Saturday, but... If Adisa Isaac and Chop Robinson get stoned by Ohio State's offensive tackles, like what are we talking about with a four-man pressure? And it's got to be four, don't you think? Because four, maybe five, maybe five. Stroud is Stroud is really good, like Doug right. said, at, at at dissecting exactly where everything's coming from, and boop, the ball's out because he knows he gets the ball out to the hot guy. It is trouble. It's big trouble. So we're talking about we're talking about Fleming maybe against uh, uh, you know uh, I, I suppose Kalen King or, uh, it, or it just depends Hardy Wallace. is going to play <clears throat> Hardy will play the slot uh, but that's a dangerous matchup because of the size of Ohio State's wideouts if they have a big receiver in the slot Hardy's in trouble but King is King is is fearless on one side I think you're I think Doug is right they're going to do what Iowa did and they're going to. The wide side of the field is probably going to be Joey Porter is going to stay there and get get very little help, and they're going to take their chances and help everywhere else. And I think that is what Penn State's going to have to live with that if they want to try and slow uh, Ohio State down. It's a it's a great matchup. It could blow up in their faces, but if it works out, um, I think Penn State's going to hang around in this game for sure. And that's a great matchup. Marvin Harrison Jr., Joey Porter Jr., the NFL bloodlines. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that because that's the thing. When you diagnose anybody, and we've been doing that a lot, you know, you're looking ahead. You're going through Bama and Tennessee and Georgia and Clemson and everybody's secondary and saying, who has guys that can hang to try to slow them down? And there's a lot of good teams with kind of bad pass defenses this year. Tennessee's pass defense is like 110th in the nation. And if you if you if you can't cover Ohio State, I'm not sure what you're going to do. But then right. I, that's what we've looked at Penn State all year and thought, okay. And Dave, for you to say this is as good of a Penn State secondary as you've yeah. seen is a really big deal. That's where you have to start. If you said, okay, we're going to try to be Ohio State, where do you start? Well, it'd be great to have an All American quarterback, but otherwise, give me a great secondary and take your chances. And that's why this game's interesting. Doug and Dave, as as good as this secondary has been, I will. I'm going to caution both of you. The only time Penn State saw a legit passing game, Aiden O'Connell took them to the woodshed for long stretches of that game. Had they had a running game uh, late in that game, Penn State would have won. And he 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 had success. Uh, the Iowa transfer that Jones kid went off. I I think you. I think Doug, you're right. It would be foolish of Ryan Day to not to play to his strength until Penn State shows it can stop it. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. 
You got this. Adidas. All right, Doug, Nathan, and Stephen back. Ready to make our picks. Just a point of information, Nathan. I, I probably should know this. We had a, a breakdown. I guess it doesn't matter. It's up by now. A breakdown of sort of the Joey Porter Jr., Marvin Harrison Jr. matchup. You wrote up something on on Marvin. Bob Flanders from PennLive.com wrote up something on Joey. Both sons of NFL players. Both very possible first round picks in the NFL. Is that is that up at Cleveland.com slash OSU? Yeah. So basically, what we did it was I posted the Joey Porter breakdown. Bob posted the Marvin Harrison breakdown that I did. Juniors, juniors on both. So yeah, people want more of a scouting report of exactly who Joey Porter Jr. is and what he's about. That is posted at Cleveland.com slash OSU. Yeah, just I like it when everybody can lean into their expertise, right? So right. we have a company that has people at, at different sites and it's like, you know, we can dip in and try to, you know, write up opposing player stuff, but like, you know, we know our guys and they know their guys. And that's like a really, really, I, a lot of times you, you overplay a matchup and it's like, whatever, I, I it's quite possible they're going to wind up on each other like a lot and how that shakes down could really matter. And Joey Porter Jr., I think, is like a, a pretty aggressive guy who's going to get after it, long arms, that kind of thing. And then it's one of those things. I don't know, Stephen. Every time you hear like an aggressive corner, I just – it's like, well, they'll just run a double move, and that solves everything. That doesn't solve everything. But, you know, it's one of those things if Joey Porter Jr. thinks he's gotten a feel for Marvin and it's like, oh, it's a slant and go, and all of a sudden – Game over. Maybe this is a, a, a where you see Marvin Harrison Jr. get a shot down the field. Aggressive corners makes any time you see single high safety the most interesting thing in the world, especially from yeah. where we're sitting. So I'm going to be paying attention to every time I see one safety up there and go, okay, where's Porter and where's Marvin? Yeah, yeah, it really is. It's it's this is I think it's just, this is this defensive matchup I think is really going to be fun because yeah. it's it's really going to be informative about this Ohio State offense. And you know what Porter- it is. Go, go ahead. Sure, I was going to say, Porter's not just aggressive, though, and skilled. He's got some size. He's like 6'2", 190. It, the size is a little bit more equated than a lot of the matchups that Marvin Harrison Jr. faces. And I wonder if that would be even more incentive for Penn State to try to keep him over him. I don't think we've seen a matchup that's just like this much anticipated from an Ohio State standpoint since the 2019 Clemson-Ohio State game, where it's like Ohio State's corners versus Clemson's wide receivers, mm. where it's like yeah. – that's two like first round level guys, and because that's before Justin Ross had all those injuries, obviously, and T uh, T Higgins was literally the pick after the first round ended. So it's a bunch yep. of first round guys going against each other. We're seeing, I mean, Joey Porter is a first rounder this year, probably, and Marvin Harrison might be wide receiver one in twenty twenty four. So I, not to sound a little you know hyperbolic with it, but it might be the most interesting matchup we've seen from a corner wide receiver perspective for Ohio State since then. And like we always say, you know, you'll, you'll see the highlights. On ESPN and the NFL Network, when these guys get picked, they'll, they'll mm-hmm. show you know the good play that Joey Porter Jr. has against Marvin. They'll show that. The good play that Marvin Harrison Jr. has against Joey, they'll show that. Just like they showed 10 Chase Young versus Rashawn Slater highlights when Rashawn Slater got picked because it was like he had some good, good reps against a great player. All right. This line actually has is coming down a little bit. We're recording this Thursday afternoon. It's Ohio State favored by 14 and a half. When I did the Penn State pod on Wednesday, it was 15 and a half. So it's sliding that way. The over-under is 60 and a half. So last week was um, kind of a, that the Iowa-Ohio State game was kind of a weird one. I think we all took like very reluctant, very close unders, and it wound up going over because Iowa scored a defensive touchdown and Ohio State broke it open late. But we all gave the points with Ohio State. So we were correct on that. Uh, Nathan, we'll start with you. With this one, 14 and a half, Ohio State's favored. 60 and a half is the over-under. What is your pick for Ohio State versus Penn State? You know, I think if I were actually betting it, it, it's one I would maybe stay away from. But I'm going to predict Ohio State 39 to 23. So I would be giving the points for Ohio State and going over the 60 and a half. This seems like one of those matchups where maybe... And and I want to give Penn State, you know, some credit. You know, Sean Clifford is, uh, you know, one of those greedy guys. He's seen a lot. Maybe he'll uh, be able to hold up a little bit better against some of the things that uh, Jim Knowles throws at opposing quarterbacks. And you know, maybe if if Jackson Smith the Jigba can't play, or even if he can and he's limited, Penn State's secondary can take advantage of that in a way that some opponents can't. But it, it seems like one of those things where maybe the the still 
power rankings, whatever people use, haven't caught up to Ohio State's defense being as good as it is. I, I'm predicting 39-23, but I also, I also think it may not feel that close. And we've had some other games in this rivalry in, in recent years where Ohio State, uh, Penn State's able to play them relatively close, but doesn't necessarily threaten them. And I guess that's kind of what I'm expecting on Saturday. Okay, give the points and take the over. Steven, what's your pick? Yeah, I think this game might look a little similar to the 2020 game before the fourth quarter happened, where like Ohio State was running away with that thing and Justin Fields was picking Penn State apart. And then obviously we found out Sean Way wasn't a first rounder, while Jahan Dotson might be a first rounder in the last 15 minutes of this game. So I don't think that's going to happen this year. I don't think there's a Jahan Dotson. Uh, Penn State's got some good receiver, but I don't think they have a Jahan Dotson in that receiving core this year. So if you take that away and how the rest of that game played out, that's how it came to my score. 41 to 17, Ohio State wins. Penn State's going to move the ball a little bit and they're going to score a little bit because they've, they've got some talent over there as well. But I just think from the get go, this offense clicks it doesn't maybe take a little bit of time like we saw with Iowa even if this is a better secondary it'll click a little faster than it did last week and it'll just keep clicking and keep clicking and keep clicking and because the defense is better we won't see Penn State have that run at the end of the game that makes the game look closer than it actually is it's funny we're like all kind of like in the same zone here but my game script is sort of opposite of you guys so Nate Steven by the way that's a Given the points, you're taking yep. Ohio State minus 14 and a half, but you're slightly under because mm-hmm. you have a 58 total on the 68 and a half. Uh, my score is 41-24, which is like we practically all have the same score. But mine is more like it's 27-24 entering the fourth quarter, and then the Ohio State passing game cracks them and gets two fourth quarter touchdowns, and that's how you get that margin. That I do just think the idea of like Penn State kind of hanging around and making it tough and having enough skill, guys, you know, I just – like they they just have enough skill. Penn State usually has skill. They have a really good left tackle, really good left tackle. So I don't think Ohio State's going to get much done there. The left side of the offensive line is a strength. The right side of the offensive line for Penn State's a problem. Maybe Jim Knowles will be able to exploit that. They really like their secondary. Maybe Ohio State can exploit exploit the guys in the slot a little bit. They don't really have like an Arnold Ebicady kind of guy from last year, who I think was a second round pick who can kind of get that pressure by himself, which is everything you were talking about, Stephen, like the idea of like, I, I just don't know. Nathan's like the four-man pressure is so important to really help in that secondary. I don't know if Penn State can get it, but I just think they can clunk it up a, enough to make Ohio State work for it. But then to me, the game script is what it was last week, which is like eventually Ohio State cracks it open and you wind up with an over, you wind up with Ohio State covering, but I think it could feel like a game well into the second half well into the second half, even longer than the Iowa game felt like a game for Ohio State. So we're all very similar. Nathan, uh, you and I are over. Steven, you're under. We're all taking Ohio State minus 14 and a half, though, and those are our picks for Ohio State-Penn State on Saturday, which is where we will all be. So I don't – like I really – Nathan, it's – you know, we we say it a lot. Sometimes um, you can watch an Ohio State game and say Ohio State – is an excellent football team, but I am not exactly sure what else I learned. I'm not sure how much depth there was to the knowledge that I gained through those 60 minutes of football. I just think this might be a knowledge gaining Saturday, which is, first of all, my goodness, Ohio State, Penn State's fun, man. Going to Beaver Stadium is great, right? I mean, if you line up the places where you want to go play a big college football game in the Big Ten, right? Beaver yep. Stadium is way up there. Camp Randall um, for Wisconsin, where Ohio State, we talked about the schedule the other day, Ohio State's going to be at Wisconsin next year. That is way up there. I mean, it is, it is a great atmosphere. It's better at night, but I still, it'll, you know, I think they're striping it out. So it'll yep. be all striped out on Saturday. So it's it's going to be great. Like, it's going to be super fun. I don't, I think, I don't know if our texters want to tell, like, I think people like Ohio State fans, it's fun to go to a game like that, right? I mean, I don't know. So I I think it's going to be a great game, but also the the specific things Penn State does really are going to be interesting to see how Ohio State handles it. I know there's some people who are bummed, probably more Penn State people are bummed that it's not a whiteout or they think this game deserves to be a night game and that the tradition had been building there for a few years. But I'm looking, well, I, I hate night games in general, but I'm looking forward to like the daytime experience. Like I, to me, that's like college football. It's like an afternoon, a crisp afternoon, the fall, the leaves have turned. It's nice and sunny, clear sky like that. I, I think it's going to be that kind of 
day. I'm, I'm looking forward to what should just be a, a fun atmosphere, but also Penn State, where their reputation took a hit this year because Michigan beat them so bad, but there's a good team there, and I think it could be a, a decent game for a pretty good portion of this one on Saturday. I'm excited to actually see what the actual Beaver Stadium atmosphere is like because we were robbed of that in 2020. Yeah, I've oh, never yeah, been yeah, there yeah, for yeah. a full game, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, stadium. no. 14 is nuts. 16 Thanks. nuts. Thanks. Oh, it's nuts, man. Oh, my God, it's crazy. It feels like a gladiator pit. Like, it's like, yeah. it's like old, like, and then, like, you know, the visiting team has to, like, walk, through, like, under the stands. It's like you're, it's practically feels like a high school stadium. Like, you're walking on the field. Like, it's, you're not going through, like, the, you know, Ohio Stadium has, like, the big cool tunnel for Ohio State. But, like, the, when the visiting team comes down, at least, like, it's, it's like an open ramp and it's, you know, whatever. This is like, it's like people are, are throwing, nittany lion stuff at you and it's like you're you're under these old like metal bleachers and it's like oh my gosh what is this and it's like it's college football baby okay we make sure you listen to the gambling pod betting the buckeyes also in your feed on friday and we will be back with the postgame podcast on saturday and we'll all three of us be there writing about the game go ahead and read us at cleveland.com slash osu love to have you visit us there and try the text 614-350-3315 for now, for Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Lee Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.